Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on 7.5 acres out in the country. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. I have a suburban garden measured in square feet, less than a third of an acre. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough about who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Dee. Hello, Carol. Is it is the sun shining in Indianapolis today? The sun is shining. It's a lovely summer day. It's a lovely day here, too. We had a low of 69 degrees this morning. I said, on, <laughs> I sat on my deck and, and drank coffee, and now I'm recording with you. Yes, and that reminds me of something that I wanted to tell our listeners. If you took your houseplants out for the summer, don't wait too much longer to start cleaning them up and bringing them inside because you really don't want them to start feeling that low temperature at night and then bouncing back during the day. That sends weird signals to these plants that maybe they should go dormant or something. So don't leave them out too long. That's my advice. I also think if you took your amaryllis outside to let them have their summer vacation and you want them to rebloom for Christmas time or before Christmas, it's time to cut them back and put them in a closet. I would agree. And don't water them. Wow, Dee, we're like less than two minutes in. We've already given two pieces of excellent advice. Well, that's good. (laughs) So what are you doing in your garden today? So my garden, I tell you that the coneflowers are waning and the Joe Pye weed is waxing because it's August. Right, right. And I posted everything for my garden bloggers Bloom Day meme on my blog, which I've been doing since 2007. So I showed all my flowers there and we'll put a link to that. And you have a garden bloggers Bloom Day post coming up. We'll put a link to that. Yes, I do. I, I pulled all of my summer squash because I was done with it. And I pulled out a bunch of my tomatoes because I was done with them too. And you know what? The vegetable garden looks so much better. I'm not, I'm going to grow tomatoes in containers again, but I'm going to put them in the middle of that old driveway instead of right up next to my uh, potager because I really missed looking at my potager and having that look. And I also missed not being able to reach my strawberries. Those ever bearing strawberries have been something else this year. Wow, that's great. I finally got a good mess of green beans out of Provider, the variety Provider. Right. They were so delicious. So those old beans that were so stringy and gross, they are out of there. Yeah, mine are gone too. I hate them. (laughs) And guess what? I went over to my sister's condo. What happened there? She, of all people, ended up with a gigantic um, tomato hornworm eating up her cherry tomatoes. That's really the only plant on her patio, other than some basil. That's why that hornworm moth, whatever moth it was, whether it was the tobacco hornworm or the tomato hornworm, which both eat tomatoes, whichever sphinx moth it was, it zeroed in on her plant because that was the only thing on her deck or patio. Exactly. Hide your tomato plants. <laughs> she, she called me the other day and she said, oh my God, I don't have any leaves on my tomatoes. And I told her exactly what the problem was. And she and her granddaughter stared at that thing for an evening, could not find the tomato hornworm or tobacco hornworm. 
I went over there yesterday and confirmed it's it's probably gone by now, but uh-huh. it looks pretty sad. It looks pretty sad, but you know what? You fed that hornworm probably fed a wasp. Probably. Somebody <laughs> ate it. Somebody ate it. Somebody ate it up. Or, or it pupated and it's going to become a sink moth of some, you know, who knows. So are you ready for our first quote? I almost am. I do want to say one thing. I ordered bulbs and I ordered my fall vegetable seeds. And I also ordered some seeds to plant in October for the meadow. And I'm only bringing that up because people, you know, people should buy their bulbs. We've talked about that a few times. And they should buy their fall seeds. Now, I'm ready for the quote. Right. Because we don't know if there's going to be a repeat of spring when everything sold out early. But I've seen a few not no longer available signs. Oh, the bulbs already. Yeah, definitely. Nobody panic, but go order your bulbs. All right, now we're ready for a quote. Here's flowers for you. Hot lavender, mints, savory, marjoram. That's from Shakespeare's A Winter's Tale, Act 4. Scene four. I think all our quotes are from Shakespeare this week. They are. That's why we're <laughs> going to call this podcast. This podcast episode is going to be called Shakespeare in Your Garden or something crazy like that. Something crazy. So our flower for today, I know nothing about, but you do. Well, it's calamint. And uh, the genus is calamintha. It is in the mint family Lamiaceae. A native yep. herb to the UK. The actual full name is Calamintha nepeta, subspecies nepeta. And so the name comes from the Greek kala, which means beautiful, and mintha, which is mint. I like exactly. names that make sense. That's nice. Beautiful mint. It is probably a good pollinator plant. He's an excellent pollinator plant. Thanks for bringing that up, Dee, because I did a YouTube video of pollinators on this plant and um, the Allium variety Millennium because they are just covered, covered, covered. So here's the thing. I saw this mint at the Lurie Garden in downtown Chicago in the spring, and I was with you on a Garden Blogger's Fling. We were. We've been to the Lurie Garden twice together, actually, because we yes. went there for Garden Calm also. So it wasn't blooming. It was just a really nice mound of foliage, and it has a real minty scent if you rub your hands over it. Right. And I thought, I want to grow that in my garden. And I hadn't even seen it flower. And now that it flowers, it's just like spikes of little white flowers. The pollinators go crazy over it. But it never kind of gets, uh, I'll say, floppy. It's sort of a two-by-two two mound of plant. And it's beautiful, I think. I like it. I like it. That sounds great. So it's not going to be the showiest plant in your perennial bed, but I'm telling you that the, the pollinators think it's the best thing since, well, since calamint. It is calamint. <laughs> <laughs> so we should also talk about how a lot of times pollinator plants that have really good nectar or pollen sources, are not the flashiest plant in the garden. No, it, this isn't. And here's the thing. When I was at my sister's inspecting her tomato, I had planted calamint at her condo, like on this one corner, because I knew uh-huh. it would be this nice mound, and she would like that, and it would be uh, tolerate a little bit of drought, which she would like that because she wouldn't have to water. And without my prompting, she said, 
what is that? And she points at the calamint. She says, I want some more of that. I really like that. She says, the bees love it, and it smells good, and I want that. I'm like, good thing, because I'm talking about it on the podcast episode next. That's really cool, and I think we should talk about Allium Millennium maybe on the next podcast. Yes. Because that would be planted, it would be very pretty, planted with calamint like you have. And I have I have Allium Millennium in my garden that faces the street. So let's... That's our little foreshadowing for next week. We're going to talk about Allium Millennium. I would love to. I got a whole bunch of. T- I got. I got a lot to say about it. So the calamint. And then I have a lot to say about another plant when we talk about that plant. So that's double foreshadowing. Wow. Anyway, back to calamint. Man, you, people are going to have to listen to this podcast for weeks and weeks and weeks to get caught up on everything. Um, it does tolerate a bit of afternoon shade. It tolerates some drought, but if you give it like nice sunny spot, evenly drained soil, this baby is going to be a beautiful plant, guaranteed. Well, I'm going to try it next year. I'm going to plant it near Allium Millennium in the front of that bed. Very, it'll be lovely. And I tell people it's sort of a nice filler plant. Um, I mean, it needs its own space. But it kind of right. fills in some pockets in the in the garden where maybe you don't want something big and flashy and showy because you've got something big and flashy showy next to it. This is the perfect mm-hmm. plant to just kind of slip into those little blank spots. And uh, I'm I I gave my sister the one I planted at hers actually dug up and gave her for mine. So I'm going to order a bunch more. So we're going to make a vow to order this next spring, and I think it would look really good. Because it almost has a prairie look to it, I think it would look really good with echinaceas. One of the one of the pretty echinaceas. It it might look pretty with yes, it might. Yeah, because think about it; it's got the spikier blooms, and the echinacea is the flashier plant. Yeah, it would be a nice contrast, and so that would look really good. And that new echinacea that we heard about at Garden Com, which is pagoda. Can you remember that one? Pagoda something, pagoda frills. We saw so many new plants at the Garden Com. Zoom symposium. Um, but it, oh my gosh, did we ever? I got a list here of stuff I got to get. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's going to be so I could see it with that echinacea. And if, uh, if you will talk about something else, I'll probably find it. Okay. What do we want to talk about? We want to go back to bulbs because my, my one sister, other sister called me and she's, she's like wanting to order a bunch of bulbs. And I said, okay, here's what you need to do because I'm always willing to tell my sisters what they need to do. And I said, there's an area by your front walk. Put all your bulbs there. So put all your money there. You walk by it to get to your cars, to get the mail, all that stuff. And I said, if you plant a range of bulbs there, you have a beautiful display all spring, and you'll enjoy it. Don't put it over on the other side of the garage where you don't really see it. Yeah, what's the point? So put all your money where you're going to see it. And then... Take you a field trip to a botanical garden where they probably are going to have a big bulb display. That's a good piece of advice. And then you can see all the big bulbs and everything and enjoy them, but you didn't have to plant them or cut them back. You just have that one nice area that you needed. That's great advice. That's my advice. That's really great advice. And so in Indianapolis, it's Newfield's garden or Newfield's Art Museum and garden. That's where we would go see them. Where would you go see bulbs, Dee? I would go to the Tulsa Botanic Garden um, in Tulsa. I would go to the OSU Botanical Garden in um, Stillwater 
Or I would go to the Myriad Gardens in downtown Oklahoma City. That's where I would go. See, I probably could... I probably could come up with more places outside of Newfields in Indianapolis. I bet you could probably go two hours south to Louisville, and there's probably a nice display down there. And um, of course, if you wanted to, you could go up to Chicago to the Lurie Garden at Millennium Park. Right, that would be beautiful. Gosh, if I could, you know, that is one of my favorite parks. And actually, I've written about it several times. I wrote about it for Garden Design Magazine too. Um, it's on yeah. their website. We could put a link to that. Yes, let's put a link to that because we've got people thinking about the Lurie Garden. All right, are you ready for the quote before we head into vegetable gardens, or do you have more to say about flowers? I think I'm basically done with the flowers because I cannot find that echinacea. So we will just have to make that a future. Let's make that another future one. That gives us a, okay. a bunch of new flowers to talk about. Yeah, we'll talk about some of the new flowers we, we uh, saw on the Zoom. It was amazing. But... But let's make sure they're flowers that people can buy next spring because that can get us into trouble. If we're talking about something that's not really going to be available until 22, yeah. people get like, I can't get it. All right. Here's the, here's the new quote. Again, this is from Shakespeare. Unquiet meals make ill digestions. <laughs> from the Comedy of Airs, Act 5, Scene 1. Well, my meals are pretty quiet right now. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's going into no noisy restaurants. restaurants. No, yeah. you know, the numbers were up. The COVID numbers were up again in Oklahoma, especially now that we've started back to school. So um, I'm I'm eating a lot of quiet meals at home. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong quiet with that. Quiet is good. So we decided that this week for veggies, we would talk about the British name for vegetables. Because right. if you watch... Any of the shows that we like to watch that have, and we love British shows, uh, Gardener's World is only one of them. Even if you watch British mysteries, they almost always weave gardens into them. And there are just some things that are different than an American garden writing. Right. The, the biggest one is what we call zucchini summer squash. They call... Courgette. Courgette. And I saw this reference... Actually, I watched the Hercule, Hercule, Hercule Perot right. series right when I first retired. And towards the very end, he tried to retire and was trying to grow courgettes. And they were getting very big on it. Courgette, yeah. Courgette. Yeah. It's, Courgette. The G is a je because it's French. And you'll notice that a lot of their names are French. I read in uh, Separated by a Common Languages blog, which we are going to link to, that the reason we call it zucchini is because Italian immigrants brought zucchini to the United States, and we thought that was an easier word to say. It makes sense that they would say courgette because France is right across, you know, right across from them. Right across the channel. Yes. And so aubergine is another word, and that's eggplant. And we thought, yes. because white eggplants, I read this in that book that we profiled last time, The Hundred Vegetables. Um, yes. Eggplant, we said eggplant because some white eggplants were, were brought to the New World. And we thought they looked like eggs. And so it's how it got the name eggplant. Personally, I think aubergine is much more beautiful. I think you're right, but I'm still probably going to call them eggplant. Because if I go to the local greenhouse and say, do you have any aubergine? They're going to say, what? Yeah, or how are you with aubergines? And aubergine is actually an eggplant color of purple. 
Yes. In our language. All right. And so the next one is a really common one they talk about all the time. They grow broad beans, which over here we would call fava beans. Do you grow fava beans? I do not. I do not either. My um, my climate is not good for fava beans. I wrote about them in my book because it was for all over the United States, and they grow them a lot in California. But anyway, okay, I'll do the next one to help you because it's also Thank French. you. I took, I took a lot of French, which doesn't mean I speak French. It just means I can pronounce a few things, maybe. It's mange tout, and that is a snow pea. Okay. I'll go with snow pea. <laughs> Which mange tout means actually all eat. That's what it means in French. So that's a weird, or everyone eat, because mange, manger, is to chew something up, and tout is all, T-O-U-T. Weird. Well, that makes sense, because the snow pea, you eat the whole pea. You don't have to take the peas out of the pod. You eat pod and all, so... That's probably where it came from. Yeah, that's probably where it came from. Okay, so the next one is uh, rocket. They grow rocket, and we grow arugula. Which, once again, is an Italian word, and so that makes sense. I would think I like the term rocket, though. It is kind of fun. But if we talk about rocket, we're talking about sweet rocket, which is a a biennial that grows in – I actually have it in my garden, even though in some places in the United States – Sweet rocket is invasive. Not it's here. invasive here. It's not in Oklahoma. It is here. All right, keep going. So spring or green onions, we plant those, but in England, they plant scallions. And the funny part about that is there's an onion called scallion, you know, and so I, I plant scallions here, but I also plant green onions. Interesting. Here we plant beets, and they plant beetroot. That's not that different. No. And then they plant cos lettuce, and we plant romaine lettuce. I like romaine. I do too. And then I came up with one. They plant runner beans, and we plant string beans. Right. But our string bean, green beans, we hope don't have strings and aren't fuzzy. Although this year we had stringy green beans, Carol and I did, until she switched to provider. Exactly. So for more vegetable names and info, see Separated by a Common Language blog. It is still current, and it's really cool. And now we're also going to talk about editing in the vegetable garden. Right. And so editing in the vegetable garden uh, never hurts to pull out a plant once it stops producing. In fact, that's preferable because, for one thing, it frees up space if you did want to plant something else. And for another, it reduces the chance of insects and diseases getting um, comfortable with the idea that there's always food in your garden and sticking around. So pulling those out. And then also, like you said earlier in the podcast, things just look a little nicer and a little neater. They do look nicer and neater. And my husband came home and he, he went and rode his motorcycle across the United States. And when he came home, he was really sad because I'd pulled up some of my tomatoes and I'd pulled the squash. And he goes, why did you do that? And I handed him a bunch of strawberries, and I said, so I could reach the strawberries. There you go. There's always something good behind those plants. The other thing we, and also, if you wait until fall to clean up the whole garden, you probably won't do a very good job. You'll be too tired. It'll be too big a job. Do it a little at a time. Too big. Yeah. So this is also a good time to jot down notes about the varieties that have done well and the varieties that haven't done well. And so... On our good list is provider beans. On our bad list is bountiful beans. Yeah, they were terrible. (laughs) 
Uh, so, and also, you know, like I have six raised beds, so I should write what, you know, from left to right or from west to east or east to west, however I want to do it. What was in each bed? Because I want to practice crop rotation. So mm-hmm. in the old days, I could just rely on my memory. But now it's like I've been planting the vegetable garden back here for 20 years. Uh, what year was that that I put that there? So I right. will make a quick sketch and say this is where everything was, and then I will replant accordingly next spring. Okay, and also if you're going to jot down some notes about varieties you liked or didn't like, you can use apps. You can use an app on your phone if you want to and dictate it in. One I especially like is the Bear app. Yes, you do have to pay for it, but it's like Apple's notes program, but it's way, way better. And you can just write all kinds of stuff in it, and it was pretty cheap. Carol is going to go low tech with paper and pen. Right. And then, um, but the, the risk there, there's always a risk. You could, you could, uh, not look at your phone and remember that you had the notes there. You got to put these notes where you're going to see them. So if you like have seeds that you're keeping for next year, put the notes right there with the seeds. So when you open the drawer to get out your seeds, there it is. So you could also take that app and that app goes across all of my platforms. And so I just take it and I can print it out and put it with the seeds. And that I bet that app has a reminder function that says on this date, I want to be reminded. I bet it does too. I haven't thought about it, but I'm sure it does. So right now, we're going to encourage you to write things down, draw a small picture of what you planted where for next spring. You can put something in your calendar to remind you to look at this next spring, I would say if you live in Oklahoma, do it mid-February. Yes. Maybe January, because you usually order some seeds in January. I'd say everybody's ordering seeds early next year so they don't end up with the problem that we had this past spring. Okay, so let's say order in January. And then, I mean, so set a little deal on your phone or your calendar and remind yourself to order seeds, whether you use a paper calendar or a computer calendar. Or I have a better idea, Dee. I have a better idea. What? Subscribe to our podcast and we will tell you in January to order seeds when you listen. (laughs) We will. We'll tell you. All right. And then right now we're telling you, order your seeds for your fall vegetable garden now. Seed sources include Botanical Interests, Johnny's Selected Seeds, Burpee, and John Sheeper's Kitchen Garden Seeds. Oh, and don't forget Renee's Garden Seeds. That's also a good one. Oh, okay. So I'll put that in there too. Yes. So, you know, they they all have their good upsides and their downsides, and they all have something different. So we're the kind of gardeners that end up ordering something from everybody. <laughs> yeah, we do. We're equal opportunity gardeners. Are you ready for the next quote? I am. You going to do it? You found I it. Will. You do it. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble, fillet of a finny snake in the cauldron boil and bake, eye of newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog, adder's fork and blind worm's sting, lizard's leg and howlet's wing, for a charm of powerful trouble, like a hell broth, boil and bubble. And of course, everybody knows that's the three witches from from Shakespeare's Macbeth, but... What they don't know is what we're going to talk about in the dirt. So you have to listen a little longer because right now we're talking about what's on the bookshelf. On the bookshelf, we have two books, actually. We have Shakespeare's Gardens by Jackie Bennett, and the publisher is Francis Lincoln. And Francis Lincoln is an imprint that has beautiful, beautiful books, and we're showing each other. We both have copies. I don't know how we got them. 
probably mm. review copies. We got it. We got them as review copies. But this is beautiful because she has beautiful pictures of gardens, Shakespearean gardens in England, of course, combined with some of the quotes and stuff, and a lot of botanical information about the various plants that would have been mentioned in Shakespeare. And so mm -hmm. this is um, this is a this is a good book, I'd say, for a winter read if you're somebody who likes Shakespeare and. Also likes gardening. You you should definitely have Shakespeare's garden. And if you're a fan of English gardens or meadow gardens or herbal gardens, this is a great book. And I really think that you will enjoy it. Some of them are historical, and or I think they've even got Shakespeare, one of Shakespeare's homes right. in here. Um, and there's a beautiful, oh my gosh, Hampton Court. There's a beautiful, beautiful picture on page 29 of Hampton Court in the spring with all the tulips. I bet it's pretty. I should turn Rem to that page. And remember how we talked earlier about places to go see tulips? Well, there you go. So There's the subtitle place. of that book is An Illustrated Compendium of All the Flowers, Fruits, Herbs, Trees, Seeds, and Grasses Cited by the World's Greatest Playwright. Wow. But that's for botanical Shakespeare, Oh, that's right. right. That is, is that what you were talking yes. about? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Shakespeare's Gardens was our first book. And then the second book is Botanical Shakespeare. Yes, I misread. Botanical Shakespeare, and this is, I have this one and you don't have this one, and this is a, a graphic artist, a botanical illustrator, has drawn many of the pictures, but this is, if if you are into Shakespeare and you're into gardening, this is a good, I'll say, reference book to say, does this plant, was this plant mentioned in Shakespeare's plays? Or if you're planting a garden and you want to make sure it's a Shakespearean garden, this is your book. And we'll put a link to it. And Helen Mirren wrote the foreword, which is cool, yes. too. Yes, she wrote the foreword to it. So Okay, so to finish up with our dirt now. What was with that quote? Yeah, why was I doing a Halloween spooky quote? Well, here's why. So I found out in the September issue of Victoria Magazine in a section called Victoria Vignettes, an herb by any other name, by Sabrina Jeffries, that many of the items in the famous Macbeth quote are actually medicinal plants from that time period. So when you're being totally creeped out about Toa Frog, it's actually buttercup. Eye of Newt is mustard. Tongue of Dog is hound's tongue, which is wild comfrey. Wool of Bat is holly leaves, and so on. It gave me a whole new view of the Shakespearean play. And what Sabrina Jeffries said that I thought was so interesting is that because people used herbal medicine all the time, the herbalists were often thought of as being witches, right? Right. But they were actually herbalists, but they didn't want other people to know their, I guess... What would you call their it? recipes? Their, their recipes, yeah. So they made up these wild names to go with them, and yet Shakespeare's people in his time would have known that the witches were really just talking about plants. And so I thought, wow, this is this whole new way about this quote, and I was just really impressed by it. And that's another example of how Victoria Magazine almost always has something about gardening in that magazine. Right. I, I'm reminded of when I was in high school, I actually took an English class that was all about Shakespeare. And I don't remember any of this. Of course, that was a long, long time ago. So there's not much I remember about that Shakespeare class, except that, you know. I'm not sure back when we took Shakespeare that this was well known. In fact, I had never heard of this. So I was fascinated. 
Um, you guys, uh, the entire September issue is about England. So, and there's a thing about Downton Abbey in it. So if you want to go get the September issue, I'm sure it's still for sale at your bookstore. That it is. All right. Well, that concludes this week's episode of The Garden Angelist. We want to thank everybody for listening to our podcast. If you like it, please tell your friends about us. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review that helps us get noticed by others. Plus, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. Right. And be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the Garden Gate today. Bye until next week. Bye.